Anybody want to play catch? Let's go. Seriously, have you guys ever played catch with like a toddler? Like a two-year-old? Isn't it the worst? Who said it was terrible? Let me see. Thank you. Thank you. So I have a little cousin. A little cousin. His name is Rafael. Rafael is two years old, little toddler. He's about this big. And I know you're looking at me and you're probably thinking this little Rafael guy is like brown and black hair and really dark eyes. No, the guy's white, blonde hair and blue eyes. His dad. I blame it on his dad. So one time I was playing catch with him, okay? And he's probably like right there. And I and like rolled the ball to him, just super easy. And I said, Rafael, like throw the ball. And he does one of these. He's like, you know, he's just trying to figure out how to throw it. And then he goes, and I'm standing right here. And he goes, and I was like, okay. And I was like, we'll try this again. I was like, Rafael, I'm going to get closer, okay? I was like, I'm going to get closer. So now I'm here. You're here. I'm going to get closer. And I roll on the ball again. And he gets it. And he's like, you know, he's super focused. He's like. And I was like, I was like, Rafael, dude. I'm right here. I was like, just, just give me one of these. So I get, I get just a little bit closer. Now I'm like, I'm like here, okay? Like he's here, I'm here. I'm like, bro, here's the ball. I said, I need you, I just need you to like, you know, give me just a nice little, and he's like, you know, gives me one of these again. And I was like, so he's like, and then he goes, I just want to make sure I don't mess anything up. Sorry, And I was like, dude, I was like, why did you turn around and throw the ball the opposite way? I'm right here. Like, what are you doing? And I share that with you because I thought it was so funny because it just reminded me of like, as much as he tried to aim in the right direction, he couldn't. As much as he tried to just make sure and just like, throw it and just not make a mistake and just throw it in the direction he thought was right. He threw it this way. He threw it that way. Threw it behind him because the guy couldn't aim. And so I think about us as, as human beings. I think of us as humanity. And I just think about because of our sin nature, no matter how close we try to get to God, and no matter how close we try to aim in the right direction, and no matter how close we get to saying, you know what, like, I think this is the right direction, without Jesus, we're going to be just like my little cousin, Rafael. Like, without Jesus, we're going to be doing one of these, one of these, one of these, because we're always going to miss it. We're always going to miss the mark. We're always going to throw it the wrong way because we have no direction at all. And so it's not until that we have Jesus that we know kind of the general direction of where to throw. And that's just a really simple example for me just to have an excuse to say, hey, we need Jesus. We need the direction. We need to know where to aim. And so today we're gonna be in John 3.16 all the way to John 21. John 3.16 to 21. And if you've been with us for a little bit, you know that we are in this series where we're trying to answer some really hard questions. And uh, I would be curious to see if you guys could guess what the question of today is, but I won't make you guess. 
But last week, we were trying to answer the question of why do these good things happen to bad people? And why do these bad things happen to good people? And we really tried to just dissect what is evil and who is good. What is evil and who is good? And today, the question is this. The question is, why do I need to be saved? Now, there's a certain tone to that, okay? Like, why do I need to be saved? Like, it's not a question of me actually wanting to know, like, hey, how can that happen? But I just want you to hear the tone of that question. Like, why do I need to be saved? Like, why in the world do I need that? Because if you're a Christian in the room and maybe you've been in a moment where you're sharing the gospel with someone or you're trying to share with them their need for Jesus and you're looking at them and saying, hey, you need to be saved. They're probably looking at you going, huh? Am I in danger? Am I in danger? Like, I, I didn't know someone was, like, trying to, like, hunt me down. I didn't know, like, something was going to happen to me. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't need to be saved. Like, why do I need to be saved? And so you kind of look at them and you're like, well, I mean, technically you are in danger, you know, kind of. Technically you are. And so whenever I think about just that question of why do we need to be saved, I mean, in addition to sharing uh, the love of Jesus and the grace and the mercy and the peace we can have with him and just how God just loves us so much and he wants us to know him and to love him and to be in his presence. Like whenever we share the gospel with people and just share the good news of Jesus, we can't forget that Jesus stepped to earth, stepped into our world because we were in danger and we are in danger. And we need to remind people that you know, there's this reality and this danger that if we don't follow Jesus, there's consequences for that. If we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus, there are things that are going to be happening and we have to make sure we just share that reality with people. And so today, that question is our question. Why do I need to be saved? With that kind of tone, you know, why do I need to be saved? So if you're with me in John 3, 16 to 21, I'm going to read the whole thing because I know most of you probably have John 3.16 memorized, but I thought it would be beneficial to go 17 all the way to 21 as well. So it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Amen. So again, this is a passage, especially verse 16, is a really famous verse that, again, I'm assuming maybe most of you could quote it if you've been in church for some time. But when we look at it, it is just such a clear passage, 16 to 21, that just clearly is just indicating to us of saying, 
We cannot save ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is God alone that can save us. And and this salvation that we can find is a free gift from him. And and we have to believe what he says. And so I just want you to kind of keep this in mind. When we look at verse 16, it really shows us of, of how God gave his son. And then we look at verse 17 and it explains why. Like why did God give his son And then verses 18 to 21, it just emphasizes the result of that or not the result of that. And so when you look at this, pastors could give you like a thousand things about this whole passage. And some pastors will give you two things about this passage. I settled on four. And so we're going to do four things. And uh, today's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to just kind of share this passage with you and answer the question. And then I'm actually going to have someone come up and just give a, a personal story about uh, their, their salvation experience. And so I'm really excited about that. So really, instead of 30 minutes like I usually have, I've condensed it to like 15 to 20, uh, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but we'll see. And so the first point that we have is this, of trying to answer the question of, Why do I need to be saved? Well, here it is. The first answer is this. I need to be saved because I'm spiritually dead. I need to be saved because I'm spiritually dead. Whenever you read this passage and and you start just like looking at it, you're like, okay, why did God send his son? And why did he have to give his son and send him? And why do you have to, you know, send him to this world that apparently is perishing or dying? Like what is going on? Well, I want to remind you of our conversation in the message last week where we just talked about how we are born into sin. We are born into death. We are literally born with sin already. We are born corrupt already. And we have to think back all the way to Genesis, all the way to the beginning of the reason that's the case is because at the very beginning, man, you have these people that God gave freedom and love and all of these things. And what did they do? They took advantage. They took advantage of the freedom that God had given them. They took advantage of the love that they had from God. They took advantage and they disobeyed from God and said, God, you don't know what you're talking about. We're going to do our own thing. And then some people hear that and they go, Misael, how is that even possible? How is it possible that, that the sin of one person or the sin of one people can affect everyone else? Okay, well, I want you to think about this. Imagine I have a tank that's about this big, you know, this wide. And imagine it's full of poisonous gas. Okay, this tank, poisonous gas. You ready? Imagine you poke a hole in that thing, and now poisonous gas is going everywhere. And everyone's freaking out, and they're saying, hey, we need to leave the room. And I go, hey, guys, it's just one hole. It's just one hole in the big tank of poisonous gas. Like, don't worry about it. No, 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 no. That whole thing is going to affect the entire room. It's going to affect us. And so we need to leave and get out of here. So I want you to think about that as we think about why humanity is now affected and corrupted with sin. And so we look at humanity that from the very beginning, man, even though we were walking with God, we have just had a tendency to run from him. And we were born into sin. We wanted to just do our own thing. And because of all of this, because we really can't do anything to save ourselves because we're dead spiritually, and we can't save ourselves at all. I mean, we're dead. And when you think about this, in the context of what, of what it's in, it's really interesting because before John 3, 16, verses 1 to 15, Jesus is having a conversation with this guy named Nicodemus. 
And so this whole thing right here is in the context of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And before this, you have this moment where Jesus and Nicodemus are having a conversation. And Nicodemus is like, dude, like how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? Like how can I have that? And Jesus goes, well, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, dude, that is not possible. Like I cannot go back into the womb. And Jesus is like, no, you're right, you're right. I'm talking about being born again spiritually. Like being born again and transformed from the inside. And, and then Jesus uses all these examples from the Old Testament. And one of them being uh, whenever Moses lifted up this snake um, to all of Israel for them to be saved <clears throat> from this venom. And so you have all of these things. And what's so interesting is that Nicodemus was like this really smart Old Testament teacher guy. And so Jesus is telling him all of this, and this Old Testament smart teacher guy just goes, what? Really? What? And Jesus is like, yeah, you have to be born again spiritually. You have to be transformed spiritually. And that should just remind us, because we are spiritually dead, it should remind us of the quote that people say all the time, that Jesus didn't come to make good people better. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Like he came to spiritually resurrect us, to spiritually resurrect us. And that's something that we can't do ourselves because the dead cannot resurrect themselves. And so we have to remember that we are spiritually dead. And, and I can just imagine Nicodemus just like processing this. Because again, he's like this Jewish guy who teaches the Old Testament and he's super smart. And he can fathom God loving the Jews and God loving Israel. But it says here that for God so loved the world. And Nicodemus is like, dude, the world? Really? Even those guys? Really? The entire world. And so you kind of have this another glimpse of just the new covenant, the new revelation that Jesus brought. Of saying, yeah, I've not just come for one people or one person, but I've come for everybody, the entire world. And salvation is no longer just for one people group or one person. Salvation is for everyone because everyone is corrupt. Everyone is evil. Everyone is a mess. And they need me. And so we see that man, I need to be saved because I am spiritually dead. And the dead can't do anything for themselves. And so if we're dead, guess what? We're poor. And so the second thing is, is that the reason we need to be saved is because we're spiritually poor. Now, I'm not talking about physically poor. I'm not talking about if you have this money or that money. And I'm not going to ask any questions about that. But what I'm saying is that no matter what kind of money you have, no matter what kind of things you own, without Jesus, you're spiritually poor. Spiritually dead, spiritually poor. And so what's so interesting is whenever we read verses 18 all the way to 20, it's very like legal language, very like courtroom language. Because it says right here in, in verse 18, it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, and then it has another courtroom legal words, which like, this is the verdict. Again, all of these like courtroom words of like, this is the verdict of like, this is the decision. The decision is that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so Jesus, again, is just talking about these two groups, those who are not condemned and those who are condemned. 
those who are in the light, and then those who are in the darkness. But again, it all points to Jesus. And again, I just want to just think about our conversation last week about how we talked about evil and and what is evil and who is good. And one of the things that when we talk about salvation that people say is, why does God send people to hell? Like, why why does God send them there and why does he place them there? Well, again, I I want to remind you at the beginning where God, he created all things good. He created humanity to walk with them. And it was humanity who disobeyed God. It was humanity who said, God, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're saying. It was humanity, the one who said, you know what? God, I'm going to sin against you. And so really they condemned themselves and they disobeyed. And now there's this judgment. And now humanity was and and is done for, just absolutely done for, which I think is so incredible for us to look at this passage and say they were already condemned. So just kind of like a, like a little picture here, with or without Jesus, we are already condemned. And that's why Jesus' coming is such great news. Because we're already condemned to be separated from God. We're already condemned to spend eternity in hell. But then Jesus comes and goes, no, man, you're not done for. I'm here to give you hope. I'm here to give you a way. And yes, there's this huge separation, but I'm going to provide a solution for you. I'm going to provide a solution that is perfect, a solution that you can trust in, a solution that will be able to build a bridge between you and between God. And again, in the context of of this passage, you have to remember Nicodemus. And again, he's this Old Testament teacher guy who apparently knows a lot of stuff. And I'm assuming that maybe he's remembering Isaiah uh, chapter 64, verses 6 and 7. And Isaiah chapter 64, verses 6 and 7 says this. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We, are all, we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind whose sins sweeps us away. No one, call, no one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins." I'm assuming he's remembering that because he knew like the whole Old Testament. And then you have Jesus standing in front of him and saying, no, hey, God has not hidden himself anymore. God is showing you right now face to face who he is, telling you face to face, revealing himself, revealing his face. And then you have right here later on in in John and even before in John in chapter 1 where it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So I just want to make something really personal after just kind of talking about all that. You know, there's a lot of atheists and a lot of historians who believe that Jesus Christ was a real person, that he lived, that he died, that he rose from the grave. They believe that. And, you know, believing that is actually historical. It's history. It's a historical fact. But check this out. Believing that Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave for you and for your sins That's no longer historical. That's no longer historical fact. That's now salvation. That's now transformation because you have now recognized (laughs) I am spiritually dead. 
I'm spiritually poor. And Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave for me because I couldn't do that myself. He did it to take my place to where the verdict could be this, to where the decision could be this, because I cannot do that for myself. And so because of that, because we're dead, because we're poor, well, we have to be dependent. And that's actually the third thing. Why do I need to be saved? Well, because I'm spiritually dependent spiritually dependent on the Lord and not just spiritually dependent for like a one-time decision or a one-time like, Lord, like I put my faith and trust in you. No, no, no. Spiritually dependent for your day-to-day, spiritually dependent for everything that you do, all the places that you walk. Because just think about how we can't save our own souls. Like think about how we can't work enough. We can't be good enough. We, we can't give enough. We can't pray enough. We cannot do anything to outdo or, or out whatever in order to gain salvation. That's why Jesus had to come. Our sinful nature, if you think about it, has to die. Our sinful nature has to die, and Jesus must take the place. And the Holy Spirit must come inside of us in order for us to be able to live and do righteous acts and, and be able to have eternity with him. And so as we look at all of this, and and as you just read again, 16 to 21, we're so spiritually dependent on him, not just for our salvation, but in order to grow. Okay, so my little cousin, Rafael, hopefully one day, he grows up to when he throws me the ball, it goes to me. And so spiritually, man, whenever we are in Jesus, we begin to grow up because now we're not walking around life aimlessly. We're not walking around life without purpose and and not knowing where to throw the ball. But now because we have Jesus, we know our aim. We know our mark. We know where to throw. We know who to throw to because Jesus makes things clear for us and, and really makes it clear that we do all things for him and for his glory. And what's so cool is that we are told in 1 John 5 verse 13, We are told that we can know and that we can know and that we can know that we have been transformed. We can know that we can know that we can know that we have been saved. And so I want you to write down if you're taking notes, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, because it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. And that's actually one of the reasons why I want to have uh, someone come up and just share their story of, of how they needed salvation, how they found out that they needed salvation, that they needed eternal life with, with God himself because, I mean, we are eternal beings, which is actually the fourth thing uh, real quickly that I just want to give to you is that we need to be saved. I need to be saved. Because I'm spiritually permanent. Spiritually permanent. You know, we are these eternal beings. And and when we look at all of this, it says that we need to have eternal life with God. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not die, but have eternal life. Have eternal life with him. So we are saved for God's glory We are saved because he he wanted us to have a relationship with him. He he wanted us to walk with him again. He he wanted us to know him. 
And he wanted to restore our souls. And because of that, he says, it's a gift. Like, it's yours. Like, here it is. And what's amazing is that heaven rejoices every time there's one person that says, all right, you know what? I give up. I know I'm spiritually dead. I know I'm spiritually poor. I know I can't save myself. God, here you go. And so what I want to do is, is I want to have Dale Ferguson go ahead and come up here. And Dale, as you walk up here, I just want to introduce people to you. Um, Dale has been a member of this church for a while now. And um, him and I have been able to talk several times. And every time we just talk about uh, the gospel and about what God has done in his life through his family uh, throughout the years, it just always, um, it always impacts me. And so Dale... Man, you have the room, and, and you can step up here, my man, and I'm going to sit down. Are you walking? Okay, you're a walker, man. So I'll let you do that. I'm going to sit down, and when you're done, I'll come back up. Yeah, thank you, Dale. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Dale Ferguson. I'm known as the Calvary Crier. That's why I got a couple of Kleenexes here, because I can't give my testimony without crying. When I was nine years old, Calvary, or at Shiloh Baptist Church in Muskogee, Oklahoma, my dad got saved. That night, I knew I had sin in my life, and I was sorry for it. So I made the decision during the invitation to go down and give my life to Christ. The thing was, I went down and I was sorry for my sins. Sorry doesn't get you into heaven. Confession and repentance do. And I didn't learn that for a long time. I had my ticket out of hell, I thought. Because at 17, I started college. I became smarter than my parents. Joined one fraternity. They told me, took my car away. Told me I couldn't join the fraternity. But they never told me I couldn't join another one. So I did. Fraternity life taught me all about drugs, alcohol, language that I shouldn't be talking about, doing things I should have never done. And that continued for a long time. After I got out of the service, I was still doing all these things. I was a corpsman in the service. I was with the Navy and the Marines. And a corpsman has access to all kinds of drugs. And we did those. And I knew it was wrong, but I enjoyed it too much. I wasn't willing to give my life to someone else. I got out of the service three years later I got married. We went to Okmulgee. 
I went to school down there, graduated, went to Arizona, started a job, got a call from the Williams Company here in Tulsa, came back here, started going to Calvary Baptist Church, now the Mission Church. I knew every Tuesday night, somewhere between 6.30 and 7 o'clock, somebody from Calvary was coming to my house. It was called visitation. And my wife got saved. <laughs> she had something I didn't. I saw a change in her life. And God started working on me. It took seven years for God to work on me. You see, during all those years that I was doing things I shouldn't, Satan knew every weakness I had. He knows every weakness you have. And he's going to use those against you. Whether it's pornography, drugs, premarital sex, alcohol, popularity. He's going to use those things against you. If you want to talk to me personally about those things in my life, I'd be glad to do that one-on-one. -on -one. I'll give you about three things that happened during those seven years between I was 33 and 40. My wife got saved. I think that was the most crucial one. I used to sit over here grabbing the, the back of the pew in front of me because I knew God wanted me to go down, but I didn't have the courage to step out. So I kept living my own life. I saw one of the deacons in our church walk down that aisle and he came down here and he gave his life to Christ. And I was teaching Sunday school at the time. And I thought, what are they going to say about me if I walk down that aisle? They're going to make fun of me. What's he doing teaching my kids? And it was difficult for me. I didn't want them to know how sinful I was. Charlie Westbrook was our pastor at the time. He had a son, his name was Charlie Jr. He asked Charlie to come and give us a class on how to share a little track with someone to bring them to Christ. Oh, came down one, one, uh, one time and, and uh, rededicated my life. Boy, how empty was that. There was nothing there to rededicate. And then Charlie's son came. He gave this class. It was a two-night class. There was about 35 or 40 of us. And 
we're all at these round tables, about six to seven of us, and we got to answer these kind of goofy questions like, where do you like to eat? Where do you like to go on vacation? What kind of music do you like? And that was my question. And I was sitting there and I said, well, I like Black Sabbath, I like ACDC, I like Led Zeppelin. And I kind of looked up, these were parents of the kids I was teaching. And their mouths were kind of open and their eyes were big. And I said, I need to shut up. And so after that, well, Charlie Jr., he said, let's get started. Open your booklet and answer the first question on the first page. So I said, I can handle this. And I opened up the booklet and there was only one question on the first page. It was three words. It said, write your testimony. And it was like Jesus was just waiting for me to read that question. And he kind of leaned over and he goes, hey Dale, guess what? You don't have a testimony. Closed my book. I got up, I walked out. I went looking for Charlie Sr. I walked down that west hallway and I started coming east in this hallway right out here and Charlie was coming down the hallway and he was probably 10, 15 feet when I walked around the corner and he looked at me. I didn't say anything. He said, Dale, what's wrong? I said, Charlie, I'm not saved. I'm gonna go to hell. If something had happened to me between nine and 40, I would have got up there to heaven and I'd gone, got my ticket out of hell, God. And he would have looked at me and he would have said, Dale, I know you not. Depart from me. And I would have spent an eternity in hell. But because of Charlie Jr., I'm going to go to heaven. I said, Charlie, I'm not saved. He said, let's go to my office. I'd been brought up in church. I knew all the churchy words. I knew all the Bible stories. I knew exactly what I had to do. He opened the door to his office. There was a chair right to the right of the door. Charlie never asked me anything. I just got on my knees and I said, God, I'm broken. I can't do this without you. I need you to save me. I need to repent of my sins. I need you to be the Lord of my life. And God, thank you for saving me. And that's all it took. And when I stood up, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. 
it was so encouraging. And that Monday night after our class, we got to go out and share with other people what we had learned. I had a rent house over here on Jasper. I stopped by there. I got to lead a young lady to Christ that night. It was the best high I had ever had. Drugs could not compare to that high. To know that she was going to heaven with me. Before I sit down, I just got two questions to ask you. If you were to die tonight, do you know for a fact and without a doubt that you'd go to heaven? Let's say that does happen. And all of a sudden you find yourself standing in front of God and he looks at you and he says, I'm sorry I had to take you. But if you read my word, you know I never promise you another day. He says, I also know something else about you. I know that you want into my heaven. But in order to get into my heaven, you have to do one thing. You have to answer one question. You have to answer it correctly. And you only get one shot. And he looks you in the eyes and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Thank you, Dale. Um, I really have nothing much more to say uh, after that, other than I'm just so grateful that the love of God and the grace of God meets us right where we are. And um, as we just continue in our service, the way we're going to end <clears throat> is I'm going to have the deacons come up and, and Jesus come up. And we're going to celebrate together the Lord's Supper, but also take a time to reflect. Uh, because what just keeps coming to my mind, uh, especially after I read that First John passage, uh, it's 5 to 13, you know, what comes to my mind is like, do I know that I know that I know? Because the word of God tells me that I can know. And so if you're wrestling with that question, uh, man, this is a great place to wrestle. This is a great place to ask questions. Um, but also because we are talking about salvation and because I know uh, there's some of us today that have either a similar story to Dale or just a story that's like, man, I was broken. I knew I was dead in my sin. I was poor and I couldn't save myself. So I gave my life to Jesus. This is a great moment to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna um, come up and we're gonna take this, the things and then go back to our seats and you can either stand, you can sit, you can sing, you cannot sing, you can pray, you can do whatever you want. And what Jesus is gonna do, he's just gonna pray and he's gonna sing over us and, and sing a song. And whenever he's done, I'm gonna come back up and then I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. And uh, if this is your first time taking the Lord's Supper with us, I just want to remind you that this is just for believers only. And so if you're not a believer, man, I'm gonna ask you just to stay where you are and that's okay. Like we're so glad that you're here um, and so glad that you were able to hear the, the story of Dale and 
what scripture says about being uh, saved and transformed. So I'm so grateful for that. Uh, And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll come up and grab the elements together. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and and how you saw our condition and, and how you wanted to be and that you are the solution to our problem, this sin problem that we have. God, thank you that all we have to do is cry out to you and say, Lord, I need you, I trust you. God, I put my faith in you to be the Lord and the boss of my life. And so because of that, God, we celebrate uh, the sacrifice that you made. And so we are so grateful uh, for the story and the testimony that we just heard and the scripture that we are able to read and hear from. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go ahead and come up. Grab the elements.